Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Tatiana Robertson. And yes, you heard right, happy-ish. Because this podcast is not about chasing the fairy tale. Our purpose is not to find Prince Charming and live in a castle. Our purpose is to live our own true story. But how do we do that with the overwhelm of the daily grind? Here on Happyish, I talk to so many amazing people, and we aren't just here to inspire you. We are here to give you tangible takeaways that you can use to create a life that you love, a life where you have tools to improve your mental and physical health, a life where you are the center of the story. The fairy tale was never real, and that's the good news because that means that you can take the pen and write your own story. Now let's get started and see where this takes us. Welcome back, everyone, where you're in for another exciting episode. And I know know that I say that so often, but it really is the truth. I have been wanting to talk for so long to Kim. I find the work that she's doing is very aligned with the work that I do. And I feel like her values are just so similar to my own. But first, I'll give you a little bit of a background on Kim. Kim Basler is a food freedom and mindset coach. She's a published author and CanFit Pro's new presenter of the year for her work on body image and mental wellness. With 30 years in the industry, she specializes in disordered eating, body diversity, and helping women improve their self-worth beyond the number on the scale. Welcome, Kim. Hello, I'm so happy that we are here together and we're going to share this time. And yes, we've talked about this for a little bit, so it's great. It's just such an important part of the conversation, mm-hmm. right? So how did you start off? What led you on this journey to do this work? Well, this don't we often get into the work we do because of our own experiences? Oh, yeah. And yes. <laughs> so I, I had been working in the fitness industry since I was 16 years old. And all that time in the fitness industry, I was struggling silently with my own sense of self, my body image, my disordered eating, started weighing myself at the age of 12. And that became a daily pattern of controlling my body size. And especially, you know, I always look back at my lifestyle and go, I was young. I was struggling with self-esteem. I grew up in a household with a mother who was a dieter. And then I went into the fitness industry. So I think it was just this um, perfect storm of what I was living with. And the way I got into the work that I'm doing now is because I ultimately started to get very sick uh, on top of all of the stress that I had carried my whole life around my body, stress around food. It also then went into, I guess, as I moved along in my career and I was in a management position with 70 fitness instructors that reported to me, Mm -hmm. five clubs. I also was a mother. And I believe what happened was the stressors just became too high uh, my body was saying no more. And I started to get sick, sick with, with body hives, chest pain, sleep, restless leg. And then of course it what it moves into all parts of our life. And eventually it was my mental health that was scaring me. And I ultimately, I say this often, I wish I said I need to take a break, but I didn't. I, I just, my body just said, I believe in God. Like he pulled me out and said, you need to get some help. And I left the career with the intentions that I was going to just take a leave of absence, right? Because this was my entire identity the whole time. Yeah. But um, I realized very quickly that I needed to remove myself from that industry, at least for now, or at least in the capacity that I was working in it to begin my own healing journey. 
which then made me realize that this is the work that I need to continue to do for myself, but that I know so many people needed. And so I began, you know, my own schooling that I took through an institute that trained me in the ways that I've trained. And then a lot of my own soul work and spiritual work that has led me to now supporting women around the world with body image, with healing, relationships with food, exercise, and ultimately finding their own self-worth and confidence in whatever that looks like for them right now, because we're always in the period of growth, right? Yeah. That's how I'm here. (laughs) Something that I think is so important that you have just told us about is the fact that you actually were inside the industry. You were the person that other women would look at and think, oh, everything would be okay if I was like her. Mm -hmm. And your story is not uncommon. I have talked to so many people who have come from the fitness industry who said, I just didn't want to be that person standing at the front anymore or on a magazine cover saying, isn't this great? Because it was not. And the struggle and the strife smiling to make it look like it's so easy to do. I see you nodding. And it's very much like there was a lot of hard effort fighting against yourself. Your body finally just said, forget it and rejected it. Yeah. It's exhausting pretending like you have it all together. And I, I openly say I sought validation from the outside world telling me how amazing I was. Yeah. You know, it's hard to admit that, but because I struggle with my own self-worth, every time somebody said to me, how do you do it all? You, you know, I wish I could do it like you do. Yeah. That, that fed me. And I knew like it's, and it wasn't like it was a conscious, I wasn't conscious about all of this, but I can see it now as I look back, but you're right. Like it's the armor that I, I wore every day. There was many times where, you know, near, nearing the end when I was so exhausted and overwhelmed, I wasn't sleeping anymore. And there was fighting with my husband, like everything was going on and I'd be crying in the car. And then I'd get to my destination, take a couple slow, deep breaths, take a look in the mirror make sure that I didn't look like I'd been crying. And I'd walk into the club, open up the doors and put my smile on. Cause I was known for my smile. Mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't always forced because I did genuinely love what I did. But inside I was, I was falling apart, you know? So it's really hard to try and pretend that everything's okay. And to have that responsibility to be that person on a stage in front of 40 people who expect you to come and deliver. Yeah. You have to, you just put your instructor hat on, you put your manager hat on and you show up. Cause that's what so many of us have done as women. I mean, whatever career you're in, it's what we do when we're, especially when we're in roles where people look up to us, we're the person that inspires them. Right. Yeah. It was exhausting. And, um, you know, when I look back now, I'm like, yeah, no wonder, no wonder I was sick. Yeah. And there's not acceptance really of, I think the fitness industry may be the last place where body diversity, there's this constant push of no, you're not actually fit unless your body looks a certain way. And you can only teach like the big girl class if you don't fit into that mold. Yeah. And so there's nobody to guide us. When we're young and we are still working through our own, not that we ever stop, but when we're particularly impressionable when we're young and we first get exposed to a fitness routine or a program and we don't see 
the diversity of bodies and what health and strength can look like from multiple perspectives. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you are literally like pulling back the curtain. That's what you're doing. You're like, this is the real me. This is what I was going through at that time. I really resonate with that. I had the same, you know, people often know me and because, you know, I lost over a hundred pounds and they're really fixated because they want the magic number. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter how many times I said, but the biggest change is on the inside. It's like, that's nice. Okay. But tell me how you did it. Right. Yeah. And that's because we all, we all want to fit in and we know that looking a certain way helps us fit in and belong. Mm -hmm. And we're all looking for something that's going to give us that immediate shift as quick as possible. So, you know, that's why people are so, you know, gung ho for the quick, the quick weight loss, even though they know that it's likely not sustainable, but it's going to give them that immediate like sense of, huh, I'm going in the right direction. Right. Yeah. I, I hear, I hear everything that you're saying and it, it is an internal, it is an internal journey because once we start to allow that healing to take place. And we recognize there are so many factors that play a role in what our body is meant to look like, at least right now, this now body that we're in, there's so many factors that play a role. And, you know, maybe your recovery and maybe where you feel best, you're going to be a little bit heavier than you are now. That's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around when they've attached worth and society has attached worth to size. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult one for people. It absolutely is. And there's this huge amount of shame that is placed on people. And shame, does anyone say, oh, I became famous physicist because my parents shamed me about my intellect and they told me that I wasn't worthy. And you know, like that doesn't happen. We're like, be healthy. And there's shame associated with the whole idea that if you aren't a certain size, you can't be a good role model for others. And so what happens? when we're shamed, well, it just starts that cycle. And something that I really want to talk to you about is the cycle of emotional eating and the role that that plays, because that is that inner work of understanding emotions. And I know this is an area that you have a passion around and that you have a lot of expertise in. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's the number one thing, actually. Most people are like, if I could just stop and they see it as a willpower issue. I don't have enough willpower. If I could just say no, like, I know that I'm sad, but then I just need to treat myself. What's your experience with the people that you work with? Well, uh, my experience is, is that people are not taught how to feel their emotions to understand what it is they're feeling. And we're taught that everything around emotional eating is, is wrong and that we are to stop emotional eating and that food is only meant to be fuel. And so when they have any experiences where they're eating, for reasons other than physical hunger, and especially if they're living then in a body that still isn't society uh, approved, then they feel guilt and shame over it, right? So, I mean, I what I, I was talking about, we're going to talk about it today is those gifts. What is the gift behind our emotional eating? Why is it happening? What's going on? Because when we can understand that if we have found ourselves in a place where food has become a source of some type of support, uh, coping, whether we're 
we're pushing down something. There's wisdom in that. And it's not to say that we're, I'm saying, let's just do it for the rest of our lives. No, but we can understand and have compassion for ourselves if in fact it's happening so that we can then address it. So explain to me how exactly is emotional eating a gift? Mm-hmm. Well, again, you, you've already said it. It's like, it's never about the food. There's always something underneath it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a few different scenarios I can take this conversation, but ultimately when I look at emotions, okay. So if emotions, if we've been really good in life at ignoring our emotions, not wanting to give them any attention, feeling like they're wrong on some level, we've learned to push them down. Maybe we were told to push them down as children, you know, stop crying, stop being so sensitive, just get over it. So Mm -hmm. we've pushed those emotions down all of our life. And then, and many people, especially with binge eating, as we push it down with food, okay? So we're unconsciously, we're doing that. The feelings surface to the top. So if you remember, if you remember like a a pressure cooker, do you know what I mean by a pressure cooker where there's a bubbling surface? So our emotions are bubbling to the surface. And then if we recognize that we are then seeking out food, the gift of that is to recognize everything that we are needing to feel right now is already at the surface. It's right there. So if we're looking for that deeper healing, that deeper purpose of moving towards our more authentic self. We don't have to go, you know, digging for it. It's already there. Yeah. So if we can give ourselves that permission to recognize maybe there is something that I'm needing. One of my golden questions always that I ask my clients and I speak about it in podcasts is if we can be in that moment where we acknowledge, okay, I'm not physically hungry. Let's answer that first. I know I'm not physically hungry. I am seeking something from food to be able to practice the pause to pause and to Mm. be able to be with ourselves in those emotions. And I know it's not easy, but to be able to label the emotion, because that's what the emotion wants. Yeah. And then to say to ourselves, what am I hoping to feel if I go and eat this pint of ice cream, this bag of chips? What am I hoping for that food to do for me? What do I want to feel afterwards? If we can get those answers for ourselves, we then can start to go, well, how do I meet that need without always going to food? And yeah. note that I said that, like, note that I said, not always going to food. It's okay if we still go to food sometimes. It's okay. We want to just build up that toolkit. First, food is so connected in our culture. The whole idea of saying food is just a fuel source and it's nothing more. Well, have Thanksgiving without the turkey or whatever it is that you have in your family or Christmas or Easter. There's a reason why big cultural celebrations are also about the traditional foods of your culture, because food is also the way that our culture expresses love and caring and all of these things. So first of all, yes, we can't just turn off everything that we've ever learned and how our society functions and say, nope, never use food. We just except that sometimes food has a role to play. But I love what you said, because you take a very similar approach to what I do. My first thing is awareness Mm -hmm. and to actually name the emotion. That is the very first step to any healing. You can't heal what you don't know. Imagine if you, you were going into a surgical procedure and the surgeon said, what are we fixing? And they said, I don't know, but fix it. (laughs) 
You don't know if you've got appendicitis. You don't know if you've got like a tumor somewhere that's causing pain. You have, you know, you don't know what it is. How can you fix it? Like that very first stage of just naming the emotion. And the thing is, it sounds so easy. And I've got to be honest, I found it really hard. I don't know if you've read it, but Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. Oh, I see you nodding. Giving the words giving the words to those emotions. Because how often do you say, well, I just feel meh, or this is one, I'm bored. No, you're not bored. You're not bored. We know that you're not bored. But what is it really that you're feeling right now? And why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Oh, yeah, because how often do we just have like those primal emotions? Like anger, right? So I'm sure you've seen it before, that beautiful emotion wheel, right? Where it's like, what are the emotions underneath these main emotions? Mm -hmm. That helps people. But I love, I love the Atlas of the Heart too, because when we're seeing it expressed through another person, then we can like, yeah, that's what it is. This this needs to be in schools. (laughs) We 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 need this, right? Because if we can just allow all of our emotions A to be understood and validated right? That all emotions have a role here because then that gives us the, the direction of what it is. Do we, do we simply allow ourselves to feel it and know that it's okay? Or is there something that we need to now address? Like if I'm feeling, I'm going to give an example. Uh, if, if, if your listener has, has just had an argument with their partner, their loved one, their spouse, a child, mm-hmm. and they're feeling unheard, they're feeling um, not seen. And then the, they're left with that feeling and they're angry, they're unseen. That's where we go, okay, well, this is what I'm feeling. What do I do then? What do I need to do? I need to learn how to express what I'm feeling. Why does this upset me so much? And that to me needs to happen before you can even go and address it with somebody else. Because otherwise we go into finger pointing and so forth. We have to be able to walk those journeys with ourselves and know that what I'm feeling is allowed so that I can be able to then address what it is that I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like I'll give another example. This is just shifting it for a brief moment, but if someone lacks connection, they don't have love. They don't have, they've never felt love from the parents, from a person who genuinely loves them. Food is that source of love for so many people. It yeah. makes me feel something. It's something that does not speak back to me. It's not something that's going to judge me and I can sit with it. So as much as some of these things can feel like they're unhealthy, the point is they're playing a role. Maybe I have history of, of trauma or anything that I've experienced where food helped me feel safe. So now every time you don't feel safe, you find safety in food. Like there's reasons for it all. That's where my training is from the Institute for the Psychology of Eating is understanding our thoughts and our feelings and beliefs around how our food relationships were formed. There's there's meaning for everything. I have been doing a lot more research into that area because I really understand now the connection between internal family systems, a lot of these other that do that sort of inner child healing mm-hmm. and a lot of the evidence that's coming out in neuroscience about how we create neural pathways and understandings and recognizing that we can be pre-verbal. We don't even have language yet, but we know that we need something and we can start to fill that need. And for some of us, we fill that need through food. Yes. And so the idea of past trauma, how do you address that? I'm so glad that you have this training as well. 
Well, and I have it within reason. I stay within my scope for sure, right? I mean, I have to. It's important to me for me to do that. But I mean, there's a lot of people and I'm not saying, please, I need everyone to hear. I'm not saying I'm better than a therapist. But what I'm saying is I've had people come to me who have have had therapy but their therapist didn't understand their relationship around food. So it was more just like, well, tell me how you feel. How did that make you feel? I like to give people a space to at least be able, not at least acknowledge what it is that they've gone through because it is still part. We, you brought up inner child healing, right? It is not Mm -hmm. our adult self that is seeking comfort in food. It is the younger version of ourselves. It is our little girl. It is our little boy who's seeking that comfort. Yeah. So we have to understand that to go back and recognize what is it that I'm going to keep saying she, because I'm assuming you have mostly a female audience. I do. And not everybody identifies, but the point is you recognize you go back to your younger self. This is what we call reparenting. At this age, as an adult, I'm going to go back and reparent Mm -hmm. my younger self who didn't get what she needed back then. So what does reparenting mean to you? Like, what does that look like? It looks like me. Let's so let's say I was a child and I didn't. Well, I'll briefly say that I didn't have a father who was able to show me love. Okay. So that's my own personal experience. So I teach my younger self that she is loved just the way she is. I validate her emotions. I ask her what she needs. I give her what she needs. I let her rest. I speak to her. So mm-hmm. when my critical voice is loud and judgmental. I'm not going to try and willpower it and get mean at it and judge it. Mm. I'm going to actually speak to it like I'm speaking to my five-year-old self. I'm speaking to her with the words that a little five-year-old needs to hear, with the tone, with the grace, with the compassion. I understand that you're scared right now. You're safe. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of you. I sit with her. That's what she needs. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I know we've talked about this a little bit, like the emotional freedom techniques, which is a newer certification that I have, which is tapping for most people. Tapping is really a beautiful tool that helps to move emotions uh, that are stuck in our system. When anxiety shows up, when fear shows up, we can move those emotions with, and this is what I love about tapping is that everybody can learn how to do it technically and be able to do it on themselves which helps us feel safe. It's a nervous system. It helps to regulate our nervous system. I have only learned about it in the last year and it's life-changing. It's so beautiful. It is freaking life-changing. I'm a professional shamer when it comes to myself. I can shame myself like... For the longest time, I would shame myself about the fact that I struggled with meditating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's going to help me meditate more. Like, let's just feel bad about how bad I had it. But, but I actually, the reason that I really love tapping is because I found it easier to adopt. I felt like meditation is like asking somebody to start a sport and their first event is at the Olympics, but you can be introduced to tapping And tell me, like, this is my personal experience. My personal experience was that it did immediately calm my nervous system. It immediately gave me something to focus on because the brain's always looking, where am I looking? Where am I looking? And the whole idea of meditation, you know, is like the reflection and just letting things be. I'm like, that's not a thing in my world. So (laughs) tapping, being able to just focus on that and allow the sensation 
was so much easier for me. That's what I found so powerful about it. And that's why, please tell me about your experience. Is my experience shared by other people? Have you seen that with others? Yeah, absolutely. I just literally did some tapping with a brand new client last week and right away, right away, she felt so much better. And we literally just did a tiny little taste of it just because there was some fear showing up there. So it, right when somebody's exposed like that, when somebody's feeling very vulnerable or or they're feeling like they're pulled back, I like to do tapping right there in that moment so we can talk through what it is they're feeling because it helps to move them. But you're right. The mind wants something to do, right? The mind's mm. job is to look for something to do. So if I'm going through my tapping points and it literally, I say to a client sometimes, yes, there's a beautiful script that we can speak out loud, but you know yourself what it is you're feeling. Yeah. And it can literally be, even if we were just to start on our, our anchoring and we're tapping and we're here and saying, even though I'm feeling scared right now, I accept myself. Yeah. And we take those breaths and those words, because again, so often we're told that we shouldn't be feeling a certain way. So even to say, even though I'm feeling this, I accept myself. Yeah. Picture a little child hearing that I accept you. Yeah. That's what they need. So you're, you're, you're right. It is an immediate shift. And that's why whether we do breath work, which of course, to me, breath work comes beautifully in with tapping. Yeah. We get to calm the amygdala. We get to calm that part of our mind that is in that stress response. Right. Yeah. And it makes that shift because at the top, at the beginning of tapping, we are always, we usually, most of the time we're, we're saying on a scale of one to 10, where am I right now on that scale with this emotion that I'm feeling? The person says an eight or a nine, we go through the series of tapping for a couple minutes, or maybe even a minute, my goodness. And we can have that shift drop down one or two points already. Yeah. It's a beautiful tool and you can do it anywhere. You yeah. can have your, have your hands underneath the table. You don't have to go through all your meridian points, but you can have your hand underneath the table and just be lightly tapping on that karate point on the side and just breathe, you know, so simple, so simple, but so beautifully effective. So for anybody that's not heard of EFT tapping, go, go look it up. Emotional freedom techniques. I think you did a post on Instagram recently on one, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Well, I did it. I think I did it originally on TikTok, but you're right. That's where I did it. I just did a little, and I haven't done that before. And it was very well received. And um, it gave people that, that feeling of like, it just, it speaks to people. Anybody who understands the shame and the guilt that comes with our food behaviors, it's um, very, very healing because there's no, I'll say this, and I really am going to say this so intentional. There is no worse feeling to your health. I would much rather eat a full cake than to bury myself in the shame and the guilt for eating the cake. Mm. Like it's the shame and the guilt that goes so far. It's damaging because we can hold on to it, right? Whereby if I if I did find myself in a binge eating behavior and I ate a half a half a cake, okay, like yeah, I'm going to be uncomfortable for a while. I'm going to be uncomfortable for a while until my body's able to digest that and and how I do that. But if I carry the shame and the guilt, <laughs> I'm saying a half a cake. What about even a piece of cake? What about even a cookie? Yeah. So many people that carry shame over not following what they believe they have to do. That's far more damaging. And not to mention, it doesn't allow us to digest and metabolize that cookie or that piece of cake the way we want. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful tool. It is just, I've now followed you down that rabbit hole with the, with the shame, because I got to tell you like hands up around the world around how many people 
thought, oh, I'm so pudgy if I could just lose some weight. And then five, 10, 15 years later, they look at that picture and they go, what was I thinking? So you've actually just spent a beautiful portion of your life, regardless of your age, because all ages of our life, even the hard times have their own beauty, but you've spent that time feeling really crappy about yourself because of a number on a pair of jeans, a number on the scale, or because the person standing next to you has a different body shape. And now you look back and you go, gosh, I wish I was, I recognized and embraced that time now. But you know what? You can stop and embrace that time now. Yeah. If I calculated how many, how much money I'd have for the amount of times I've heard that, the amount of times I've said that, I said that to a therapist, you know, and I look back at pictures because I, you know, I calculated my journey so much, but you're right. We have a now body. Our bodies will change. We do not know. We do not know what our future holds for us, but what we do have is our today. And if I want, I always say to people, like, if you were to achieve this weight loss that you believe you need to have, what will that give you? That will give me more confidence. That will allow me to wear the clothes that I want to live. I'm going to go on the trip. Guess what? We can start to do those things now. Yeah. We can do those things now. And quite honestly, when we start to live with more joy and, and have more fun and be more present in our lives, that's so beautifully healing for our metabolisms too, versus me sitting at home, feeling the shame, hiding myself from the world. Right. And, and, and I think that's why this, I won't take this down a whole nother tangent, but that's why I think the body neutrality is really, really taking um, a step forward because if I can't learn how to love my body right now, but I don't want to hate it anymore. How can I be okay in this current body and recognize that I'm so much more than it too? Yeah. And it's, I think um, if body neutrality is a new term for your listeners as well, look that one up because that seems to be the direction that a lot of my clients are wanting to go right now is to, to learn how to be more neutral in their lives. And I love that. My understanding of body neutrality, it encourages me because if there's no point in my life where my, you know, my rib cage isn't going to get smaller, I always feel like I'm built like Michael Phelps anyway, but like big shoulders. Like if, if I was going to say, oh, the only way that I can have a happy, content life moving forward is for me to actually love something that is not my favorite thing, then it seems attainable to actually say, I can just stop criticizing the heck out of it or feeling ashamed of the shape that I have. Like to just be like, yeah, that's life. Absolutely. I like parts of me. I love parts of me, parts of me. I don't like very much, but can I see myself as a whole then too? Like I'm a whole, I, I love that. And and that's exactly it because there's parts of us that we cannot change. Right. Like, um, and I, and I really believe that opens up the journey towards more self-acceptance and more love anyways. And when we, when we, when we do that for ourselves, we go inward, taking us back to the beginning of this conversation, we go inward and we recognize who we truly are that our body is simply, not simply, but our body is the beautiful vessel that we get to experience life in. So we treat it well, we take care of it, but we do not need to obsess over every single part of it and feel like we have to fix so many parts of ourselves that in fact are not broken. Yeah, they aren't broken. I just had a moment when I said that I went back in time. Oh, like, why is it that I always thought the Michael Phelps thing? And then all of a sudden I had this memory of being young, and having a family member saying, she's just built like a swimmer. 
And to me, that meant broad shoulders, narrow hips. And the worst of it is that I'm not a very good swimmer. Like, <laughs> do you know, like if someone said that and I went to the Olympics in swimming, I'd be like, woohoo, see? But for me, it was it, how I interpreted it was not very positive and because I'm really not a very good swimmer. But um, <laughs> sometimes these little things, they aren't actually rooted in our own opinion. There's some little bit of information that came to us that we interpreted at a younger age, and then we've ruminated on it or fussed about it or felt shame about it. And I can't do anything about my shoulder width. And quite honestly, I don't think I'm, I've actually got, like I'm making myself sound like I should be an NFLer, but I don't actually think my shoulder, when I look at myself, when I actually look in the mirror, I'm like, actually my perception of what I look like and who, what I actually look like are kind of disconnected. Yes. And that's an important thing too. How often do we tell ourselves something over and over and over? If I tell my something, myself something over and over, it becomes my truth, right? Whether in fact it's real or not, it's no different than what story am I telling myself? I can yeah. tell myself this story that's more empowering and loving, or I can tell myself this story that isn't. Yeah. And that's why what we say to ourselves matters so much. And that's what I love when we're talking about body neutrality. So in the instance that I just gave, where I'm being very critical of myself, I see, okay, so this actually is an, a childhood wound that maybe I need to do some work on. But the reality is we can't work on 765 different child wounds at the same time. So if we can actually just park it and say, do you know what? I just accept that this is who I am and how I show up. I'm in progress and I'm doing my work. And we work on what we work on now. What is a priority? What is, what is the most disruptive wound that requires healing because it's interfering with my ability to have healthy relationships with my children or my partner or my family? And what do I want to do about that? And maybe those are the wounds that I prioritize over my wide shoulders, right? <laughs> Which in the grand scheme of things is, is just, it's a, maybe that's a, a quicker fix, but do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I like about the idea of you don't have to solve everything at once because we're never going to be solved and perfected and healed because we'll continue to grow and evolve and learn. But to just be able to just stop beating ourselves up about everything. Yeah. And like, if we always feel like we're healing something that can feel very heavy for people, we have to yeah. be able to find play and joy and fun amongst the yes, healing. Yes, yes. You know, like, <laughs> we're not here to suffer. You know, <gasps> this is the book. We are not here to suffer. We were not made to suffer. So go out and allow yourself to find things that lift you up, that that feed your spirit, that feed you in the ways that you need. That's why I, I truly believe, pay attention to how you feel. What makes you feel like that internal smile show up? What makes your heart feel good? Go do those things. Go do those mm -hmm. things. Because bottom line is we're going to recognize that half the things that we felt were wrong with us were exactly beautifully human the way we are with all of our imperfections. Like this is yeah. this is called being human, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I feel like you've just given us so many wonderful tools as well that I never thought about emotional eating as being a gift, but it truly is about how we can go back and use that to identify underlying emotions. It doesn't have to be for everything. It's not that you're going to stop eating. That also is problematic. Mm -hmm. 
and the and the tapping and the role of the tapping and breath work can play. That's really powerful. Yeah. So I'm going to put your Instagram and TikTok into the show notes. If somebody's interested in working with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, I would absolutely. I mean, obviously you're right. Instagram and TikTok is great. Um, my, my, my website is, is brand new. I I was, I was going to say she's beautiful. She is beautiful. I put a lot of work (laughs) into her. Um, so my website's kimbasler.com and everything is in there where you can, you know, grab my free gift on there, come onto my email list. There's places where you can book a comfort, uh, consultation with me where we can chat. I'm open, right? Like I'm open to explore, to see if we're in the best fit, right? So that's the best place. You can understand my story a little bit. They understand the work that I do, how I do it, because I have one-on-one coaching. I have my group spaces. I have my community where I teach fitness still, but I just do so in a very different way. So that's what I would encourage people to do is to head to my website, kimbasler.com. I will put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. And tell us, you mentioned a free gift. What is it? Yes. So on my website, there is beautiful steps to help you learn how to love and embrace who you are today. So that free gift is right on my website and they can go there and get onto that list with that. The other thing, I guess, if it, if it speaks to your listeners, I have a 14 day free trial for my empowered movement community. That also is a really nice space to get to know me and the work that I do. And that might be something that people might want to do as well. Oh, that's amazing and generous of you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you for bringing me on. Thank you for bringing me on. I've enjoyed this conversation. 